In pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential. 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 Jesus House for All Nations. This message has been recorded live at Jesus House for All Nations. God bless you. Hallelujah. Uh, we are on the second Sunday of our, our series. Oh God, who, are, who am I? The journey to rediscovering your identity. We started last week, Sunday, uh, from the beginning, where we read in the Bible God's intent uh, declared in the word of God in Genesis, the first chapter from verse 26 to 28, God in Trinity said, let us make man kind in our image and after our likeness and let them have complete authority over his creation. We read that God did exactly that. He created man in his own image and his own likeness, male and female. He created them. He blessed them. And he charged them to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Or from another translation, the message, to, to prosper, re reproduce, fill the earth, take charge. Um, and he gave them the ability to do so in the blessing. And as long as man was sure who he was, he had no identity crisis. There was no confusion as to his identity Man went about fulfilling God's plans and God's purposes. Uh, and the Bible records examples of that for us. Uh, the one that stands out clearly is how man, God's creation, man named the animals. It was as if God was doing it himself. Uh, that was the extent of the synergy and the harmony that existed as long as man was clear as to his identity. But then we went on to discuss how uh, the adversary Satan was there and had a plan. The plan was the fall of man. Uh, the plan was to lure man into sin. But the intent of that plan was to create an identity crisis for man. For he knew that the moment man becomes confused as to who he was, he would act out that confusion and when he does so, we see the results around us now. And we want to pick it up from there. Uh, the scriptures in Genesis, the third chapter, verses 1 to 7. These are the sequence of events that led to this identity theft. Genesis 3, 1 to 7. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild, wild animals that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It is only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you, God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, 
and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, then gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed the fig leaves together to cover themselves. In those scriptures, the Bible lays bare before us Satan's strategy uh, to bring confusion into the mind of man. The Bible says in John the 10th chapter and the 10th verse, Jesus says the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. But he says, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. We see Satan's strategy in those scriptures. The strategy to steal the identity of man, to bring confusion into the mind of man as to who he was. For as long as man was clear as to who he was, he functioned at the optimum. And Satan was determined that he would bring confusion into the mind of man. And his strategy is the same as he uses today's. That strategy is 6,000 years old, but it is still being deployed every single day right up to this very minute. His first strategy, of course, is to cast doubt in the woman's mind. Uh, he doesn't show her what he wants her to do, which is to eat the fruit. But he starts by sowing seeds of doubt into her mind. Hear his question. Did God really say? It's dripping with innuendo. How could a good God who loves you have said such a thing? He's telling her in, those, in that question, did God really say? He couldn't have said really because it's not a big deal. He's saying to her in that phrase that God really say, that's not really what God meant. He's saying to her that a God who cares for you and loves you surely could not have said what he said. In any case, it's not really sophisticated. He's saying to her, uh, if how could God have said what he said? Are you sure that's exactly what God said? Don't forget that when Jesus encounters Satan in Matthew's gospel, the fourth chapter and the fourth verse, is the same strategy he uses. It hasn't changed. He just wants to sow doubt in the mind of the, vic of the person who, if the person believes him, becomes a victim. When he came against Jesus, twisting scripture, um, it was the same thing he was saying to Jesus that God really said. Thank God Jesus could say it is written. But then she engaged him in a conversation. And it's interesting to note that his deception includes the subtlety of the way he addresses God. Prior to that time, God was addressed as Lord God, focusing the attention of those who were listening or, or those who were, to whom he was addressed as a God who is gracious and loving, as a God who is Lord of his creation, not as a God who is formal and distant. But then when he starts to talk to the woman, he changes the address of God to just God. Of course it talks about God, but it loses the, the, the graciousness and the love 
that the, that the previous designation of God put before the woman. And then he goes on in this his strategy. He says to her, you surely won't die. And in doing that, he downplays the consequences of her actions if she follows her actions through. Of course, he's saying to her, God surely cannot be so severe. I mean, he really wouldn't harm you. He's saying to her to use contemporary language. It's not that deep. And isn't it the same thing he says to us? Come on. It's not that serious. It's just one night. It's just one drag. It's just one drink. Come on. I mean, everybody else is doing it. He's trying to wear her down in her mind. And then he now starts to appeal to her desire for herself, for, for better things. He says, God knows your eyes will be opened. You will get wisdom if you eat of that tree. His strategy is to get her to think that it's all about stopping her from getting something that is beneficial to her. You're shortchanging yourself, he's really saying to her. Um, he's one step away from saying everybody else is doing it and is working for them and they're still in church and, and God is still loving them. Why are you so old-fashioned? I mean, look around you. I mean, Christianity has changed. Be contemporary, be sophisticated. I mean, you know, God adapts to things. I mean, that's not what really God meant. And all this time, he's attacking her mind. And the moment she allows the voice of her mind and the voice of Satan to drown out God's voice, she can no longer hear loudly, thou shall not. And the moment we stop hearing, thou shall not, the moment we are driven to a place where we accept a life that has no boundaries, a life that has no areas that we are barred from, Eat of all of this, all, all these trees. Eat the fruit of all these trees. There are loads of trees in the garden, but the fruit of this particular tree you must not eat. And what is wrong with that? When we get to a point in the world where we don't want any boundaries, where anything goes, where we are completely independent, then we get to the point that the world has got to where it is in total chaos and confusion. Once she arrives at that point, it's like a city without walls. The enemy can walk in and cause all the havoc. And as soon as he knows he has got that, he then brings before her senses the, the, the fruit that is his objective. He puts it before her. She sees that it is delicious. It appeals to her senses. She doesn't have the strength anymore because she has allowed voices to drown out the voice of God. And so she takes the fruit, she eats it, and then she gives it to her husband, he eats it. In doing that, she sides with Satan's definition of herself. Her actions speak very clearly. Prior to that, her identity was intact. She wasn't rebellious, she wasn't disobedient, she wasn't independent. But as soon as she eats of that fruit, she puts on strange clothes. She's now rebellious, now independent, now disobedient. And as soon as she does that, there are consequences that immediately come into play. The moment she starts to be confused about herself, 
she starts to act out, he starts to act out, both of them start to act out their confusion. When we see people act out certain things, it's a sign that they have an identity crisis. There's confusion as to who they are. The first thing she does is she hides from God. Genesis 3 verse 8. When the cool evening breeze was blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Prior to that, the presence of God was attractive to them. They wanted to be there. They enjoyed being there. Frankly, it was their natural habitat. But as they began to be confused as to who they were, as they realized that they had wronged God, they started behaving in an unnatural manner to who they really were. And instead of running towards God, they started hiding from God. If we're truthful to ourselves, when we're struggling with identity, it's the same thing we do. Haven't you found yourself at a place where you have done something wrong, and instead of going to God, you go away from God? You don't want to pray about it. You don't want to talk to God about it. Whereas, if we knew who we were, and we're clear as to who God was, we know that it's a throne of grace that we approach. We are not going to be condemned because we have done it. God's nature is to forgive us. We want to run towards God. The prodigal son was living in a pigsty, and yet he was the, the, the child of royalty until he came to himself. There's a coming to ourselves that is necessary, suddenly realizing who we are. And one day he's sitting in, that, in the muck of the pigsty, and he's think, he wakes up and says to himself, this is not who I am. And isn't it interesting that as he goes back to his father, ready to accept anything, not even expecting to be restored to his position, the Bible presents an amazing picture of the father running towards him with open, open arms, having ordered that he's restored by giving the symbols of sonship back to him and a party is thrown for him. And that's what God wants for us, that we come back to him and discover who we are, discover our identity, that we stop hiding from him. Even when we have done things that are wrong, we don't hide from him. We come back because we know that what awaits us in his presence is grace and mercy. And as a result of this confusion in man's identity, negative emotions are introduced into man for the first time. For the first time, man feels shame. An emotion that he'd never, ever felt before in his life. But suddenly, as a result of his actions, he's suddenly ashamed. And he's ashamed and he starts to cover himself a vain attempt at covering shame with fig leaves. And if we try to deal with shame and, and its brothers that come with it, the humiliation that can sometimes come in life, the dishonor, the embarrassment, the discomfort, if we try to deal with it ourselves, is, these are vain efforts like using fig leaves to try to cover ourselves and really, those things don't work. And then from shame, the man feels an emotion that didn't exist before. He suddenly feels fear. He's afraid. 
The Bible says in Genesis, the third chapter and the tenth verse, He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. A man who was fearless suddenly has to deal with fear. The reason we are dealing with fear is because of an identity crisis. The more we know God, the less afraid we are of, of, of anything that we have to face in life. And then the loss of their identity was quickly followed by something that we deal with today in society, an abdication of responsibility. The blame game was introduced. It's you. It's the others. It's not me. It's them. I blame you. And we see it played out in life today where it is rare to find people or, or a person who takes responsibility. The default mode of a confused state of mind where there's an identity crisis is to look for others to blame. I did it because of you. I'm doing it because of what they did. I'm like this because of what was done. No one takes responsibility anymore for their actions. The, the, they just blame each other. God said to them in Genesis, the third chapter, verses 11 to 13, God said, have you eaten from the tree that I, I commanded you not to eat of? The man replied, it was the woman. I mean, the question was simple, did you eat? The man's answer should have been, I, I, I did. But he doesn't even address the question. Instantly, he blames the woman. And then God says to the woman, did you do this? The woman says it was the serpent. Of course, God didn't bother to ask the serpent. I wonder who he would have blamed. And look around society today. That's where, that's where we're at. We're constantly looking for who we can blame. And then it just gets worse. As you read the Bible, you find emotions that didn't exist being introduced. Anger comes into the whole psyche of man. Genesis 4, verses 4 to 6. Abel brings a gift. Cain does not like the fact that God accept, accepts Abel's gifts. He becomes envious, uh, uh, an emotion that never existed. And then he becomes angry and looks dejected. So much so that God says to him, why are you so angry? And that could be a question that God could ask so many of us today. Why are you so angry? There are some people who are just angry at everything. They are grouchy and grumpy. It is their lifestyle. There are some people whose anger borders on rage, angry at parents, angry at siblings, angry at people at work, angry at road users. That's why we have road rage. Something has gone wrong in the identity of man. There are people who are angry with God. I mean, that now is the limit. I mean, how do you get angry with God? I mean, how do you? I mean, what can you do? But there are people who have deep-rooted anger against God. And it gets worse. From anger, murder is introduced. Genesis 4 verse 8. One day Cain can't take it any longer. He says to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, he attacks his brother and he kills him. And we might think, well, I, don't, I haven't killed anybody. But then how many people do we kill with our tongues? How many people do we murder? How many people do we shish kebab? Just, 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 just 
Finish them with our tongues. Murder them with our words. These are all the outworkings of, of, of people who have lost their identity, con a confusion as to who exactly we are. Because the further we move away from the image of God, the more these things take, hold sway in our lives. And from there it gets worse. It goes on to lying. Verse 9, afterward the Lord asked Cain, where's your brother? Where is Abel? What was Cain's response? I don't know. You don't know? You just killed him. But then he says to God, I, I, I don't know. And then he says to God, I'm in, a, in, an, in an almost disrespectful way, am I supposed to be my brother's guardian? Am I my brother's keeper? And frankly, after that, a floodgates of negative emotions are opened as a result. In quick succession, they come. Sadness, despair, frustration, discouragement, jealousy, apathy, guilt, disappointment, depression. The list goes on and on. Man has lost his identity, and as a result, man is malfunctioning. And because man is malfunctioning, man is hurting other, other men and other women. People who don't know who they are are acting out, and they're acting out negative things because their minds, our minds are messed up. And as a result, we are hurting each other, and a vicious cycle is set in motion. And so... People are born who are rebellious, born out of circumstances who are rebellious, born because of, of an encounter with another malfunctioning person who's lost their identity. People are born who are controlling, who are dishonest, disrespectful. People who are cynical, molded by circumstances, by encounters with other people who have lost their identity, the result is the, the production of a cynical person, a greedy person, a judgmental person, a foolish person, a disloyal person, a gossip, a gullible person, an envious person, loads of insecure people, proud people, haughty people, cowardly and cruel people. The result is a total confusion in our world. A confusion as to our gender. Everything must become so fluid. There are no longer things that are sacrosanct. There are no boundaries. Everything surely must go. And everything can go. Confusion as to our sexual identity. Confusion as to our racial identity. Confusion as to our cultural identity. Confusion as to our values. The result is a world that is full of confusion. We are faced with a full-blown identity crisis. People who no longer know who they are. And let's not quickly point our fingers outside church. See the confusion in church. A man who claims he's a Christian, a follower of Christ, but he beats his wife up. He's, he's totally lost, he, he completely lost, lost his identity. He's supposed to serve her in the way that Christ served his church. Supposed to be a covering for her. But now the hands he should use to serve her, he uses to hit her. The man has completely lost his mind as to who he is. A child who is disrespectful to a parent, to a mother who carried her or him. 
who gave their all, a father who has sacrificed for him. The child suddenly gets to a point where they are abusive towards their parent. The child has, has, is in total confusion as to who he or she is. A young 15-year-old boy takes a knife and stabs another 13-year-old boy to death on our streets. That child has, the, 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 the mind of the child is so messed up. The child has no clue as to who he is. The creation descends to the level of the beasts and starts to do all kinds of things. And we see it played out in our world. Every time we watch the news, we see another example of this identity crisis. For what else can make a teenager break into the home of a woman, an elderly woman in her late 80s, beat her up, rape her, steal from her? Something has gone wrong in his mind. There's a complete identity crisis. And we can go on and on and point out the examples closer to home and far away from home that are all the results of this identity crisis. This confusion as to who we are. It gets so bad that God himself says this about it. He says, the Bible says in Jeremiah 17 verse 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? And you know, we face that question every day. Who really knows how bad it is? Just when you think that you have seen it at its worst, you turn on the television and you hear another story that tells you that it is worse than you think. And it just keeps getting worse and worse. If you hear the cry of God's heart in Genesis, the sixth chapter, and the fifth and sixth, sixth verse, you understand how bad the thing is. The Bible says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on earth. And this last phrase actually breaks your heart as it broke his. The Bible says it broke his heart. I mean, God looked at the, this whole mess and just thought, this is a mess. How did we get here? These are people who are made in my image, like me, to think and act like me. And they are acting like animals. It's the equivalent of a lion that was made to rule the jungle walk around as the king of beasts. And one day you come back and you find the lion rolling around in the muck of a pigsty. Instead of hunting for its food with majesty, the lion is eating all the junk that they give pigs to eat. The, uh, the creation that was created beautifully in the image and likeness of God to carry the glory of God has become a beast. And one of the most damaging results of this identity crisis is what I, I, what I call the Bartimaeus syndrome, uh, where people label people. You know, Bartimaeus, the story is in Mark, the 10th chapter, verses 46 to 42, and you know the whole story. Bartimaeus was blind. He had an encounter with Jesus, and he was healed. Amen? Somebody say amen. Bartimaeus was healed. So Bartimaeus was healed, 
and he could see. Somebody say amen. amen. But guess what? Even until I corrected myself, whenever I want to preach from it, I say, I want to tell you the story of blind Bartimaeus. And then one day God said to me, he's not blind Bartimaeus. He was blind Bartimaeus, but he had an encounter with me, and he now sees. If you want to put an appellation before his name, he is now seen Bartimaeus. But then that's, 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 one of the that's one of the fallouts of an identity crisis. Because you see, if, if you can't say I am, then people want to say you are. They want to give you a label or a name that is not yours. They choose these names or these labels based on their own limited knowledge, their perception of your experiences, wrong information, their misunderstanding of God, or even their own experiences. And because of the complete fallen nature of man, the, because of the degeneration of the human mind, there's just some perverse pleasure that humanity gets in labeling people with things that are negative. So yes, I came from a broken family if I did, but that's not my label, it's not my name. Yes, I, I have suffered a divorce, but please don't look at me through those spectacles. Yes, I failed, but I'm not a failure because I failed. I failed, but then I can go ahead and be successful. Yes, I had a moral failure. Yes, the woman in adultery had a moral failure, but Jesus didn't label her and confine her. He gave her another chance. Don't box me in because of where I come from. Don't box me in because of the neighborhood I grew up in. Don't label me because told them about me, I am. And says, when you go there, don't bother to explain. Just declare to them, I am sent you. And isn't it instructive that Jesus does the same thing? When there's confusion as to his identity and people are saying all kinds of things about him and about his deity, he doesn't, he doesn't get into any argument. He just declares who he is. In those seven I am statements that he makes in the Gospel of John, he's declaring his identity. You can think whatever you like, he's saying, but I am the bread of life. You can think whatever you like, but I am the light of the world. You can think whatever you like, I am the door. You can think whatever you like, I am the good shepherd. You can think whatever you like, I am the resurrection and the life. You can think whatever you like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can think whatever you like, I am the vine. Who are you? Because if you can't say, I am, there are enough circumstances in life to define us. Oh, trust me. With what you and I have gone through, there are many labels attached to any, uh, each one of those circumstances that, that desperately want to define us. And we've been through stuff. We all have a past. We have history. Quite a, number, quite a lot of it, none of it, quite a lot of it, not of our own making. I, I can't choose the family I was born into. I was born into this family, this highly dysfunctional family. I was born into it. I didn't plan to have a broken marriage. I didn't plan to have a moral failure. I didn't plan to have a failed business. 
I didn't plan to have someone who should have taken care of me abuse me. I didn't plan any of these things. I didn't plan to have gone through so much that now that, that I'm afraid. I didn't plan any of these things. Life just brought them my way. And some of them are of my own making. I made mistakes. I made wrong choices. But I've made them. But those things can box me in, can hold me down, can label me, can confine me, can't restrict me. That's not who I am. I know who I am. Can you say I am? Who are you? Let me tell you a bit of who you are. Rise to your feet. Can we put those confessions on the screen? Hallelujah. Can you declare this? This is, this is, this is just a bit. This is a bit of who you are. You know, the, the whole book is full of who you are. That's why you've got to read the book. We'll talk about that next week, about God's recovery plan. But go on, let's declare who you are, want to go. Don't worry about the scriptures, that the scripture references at the end. I just put them because last week I didn't put it and some people thought I formed it. So I thought I better put it so you know I got it from, it's not, it's not who I say you are, it's who God says you are. Amen? Okay, one, two, let's go. Declare who you are. I am loved by God. He has given me his Holy Spirit to fill my heart with his love. I am a friend of God. My friendship with God was restored by the death of his son Jesus. I am no longer a slave to sin. My old sinful self was crucified with Christ. And as a result, sin has lost its power in my life. I am dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. I am a slave of righteousness and have been set free from sin. I am a child of God. I have been adopted by God and given the privilege of calling him Abba Father. I am an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. I am free because Christ has set me free. I will never again be burdened by the yoke of slavery. I am not afraid because God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. I am victorious through my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. You know, when, if we are made in the image and likeness of God, look at how God functions. God said, let there be and there was there was darkness but God spoke into the darkness and suddenly light appeared God spoke and it happened and God says you're godlike you know what that tells me I can speak it into being and so when I say it they're not mere words because they have come from the word of God. The Bible says those words are spirit and life. The Bible says those words cannot be spoken without achieving the purpose for which they are spoken. So if I declare I'm free, it must achieve the purpose of my freedom. So I begin to frame my world by my declarations and confessions as to who I am. If I'm sick, I declare I'm healed. I declare it until my body lines up with the truth of God's word. Hallelujah. Go on one more time. Let's do this now with life and meaning. Declare the words as spirit and life. 
And you know what? We don't have to wait till tomorrow. Somebody here suddenly gets their freedom by their declaration. Go on, let's confess this again. I am loved by God. He has given me his Holy Spirit to fill my heart with his love. I am a friend of God. My friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, Jesus. I am no longer a slave to sin. My old sinful self was crucified with Christ. And as a result, sin has lost its power in my life. I am dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. I am a slave of righteousness and have been set free from sin. I am a child of God. I have been adopted by God and given the privilege of calling him Abba Father. I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. I am free because Christ has set me free. I will never again be burdened by the yoke of slavery. I am not afraid because God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. I am victorious through my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Go on, celebrate God. Go on. That's who you are. A snapshot of who you are. Just a snapshot. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads. Bow your heads. I want to make two quick calls. If you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior, these are empty words. The covenant is with his children. And so if you're not sure that you can categorically say, I'm a child of God, and the reason I can say that is because I have come back into his family. I have accepted his son as savior. Just slip your hand up wherever you are. I want to pray with you first. You're, it's important that you make your peace with God. Anybody saying, pray for me. I want to make my peace with God. Slip your hand up wherever you are. Anybody, anybody in the gallery saying, pray for me. Slip the hand up. I see a hand in the gallery. I see a hand in the gallery. Anybody else? Anybody else saying, please pray for me. Anybody else? Please pray for me. You want to make your peace with God? Anybody else? There's a hand at the back. I see that hand at the back. I see those hands at the back. Okay, now, I'm going to ask you, as part of your new identity, to take a bold step. Um, please keep your heads bowed and just start talking to God. Come from wherever you are. Come from wherever. I know you're up in the gallery. Come, come. I want to, I want to say a prayer with you. Come. You put your hand up. Come from wherever you are. Come, come from wherever you are. Don't be embarrassed. This is you walking into your new identity. Come from wherever you are. The rest of us, why don't we just start to pray about our identity. God, give me back my identity. Give me back my identity. And if you put your hand up, come from wherever you are. Two or three people, maybe more. Come, come from wherever you are. Father, we thank you and we bless you. We glorify your name and exalt you. Come from wherever you are. Come, 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 come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The rest of us, just one or two more minutes talking to God about yourself. Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless you. We bless you. We bless you. Tommy, can you come? Come, please. Hallelujah. Father, we bless you. Congratulations. Welcome to the family. Bless you. Welcome to the family. Come. Welcome to the family. God bless you. All right, um, Tommy, Tommy is, 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 she's going to take you. Let me turn the corner. Just pray with you and you're going to come back and join us here. 
Tommy, check. Ça vous dit pour me? Hallelujah. Now listen very carefully. Whilst preparing for this message, the Lord said to me that today he was going to deal in a miraculous way with shame. The enemy has tormented a few people here with the threat of shame because of something you did. And then there are some other people who are actually ashamed because of something that they've done. It's a stigma that they've carried. And the Lord wants to deal with all that. The enemy won't terrorize you with shame anymore. Uh, the blood of Jesus is... is the blood of Jesus has enough efficacy to deal with all the shame that we can bring and God wants to deal with that so if you're that person I want you to come forward we're going to join our faith with yours as a, as a symbol a sign come come don't be embarrassed about it you know you struggled with it in your heart the enemy has tormented you maybe something you did in the past maybe the, th the fear of something happening that's going to bring shame take away your dignity strip you completely uh, you want to put an end to that, come, come. That's what God laid on my heart. Come, come, come from wherever you are. Come, God bless you as you come. Just come up front, come, come. The devil is a liar. Come, come, come. We'll wait for you, come, come, come. Come, we'll wait for you. We'll wait for you, come, come. The blood of Jesus is cleansing completely. Protect you. As you put your trust in the Lord, the, the, the word of God for you is that you will never be put to shame. You will never be put to shame. Come. Come from wherever you are. Come. 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 Some of you are still struggling because you think this labels you. I've just spoken about labeling. So no, nobody can label anybody here. Yeah. It's just what God wants to do. And it's just sometimes he asks for, your, 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 you, for you to just show by a walk of faith. Come from wherever you are. Please, I need the entire ministry team. I need the entire ministry team because we want to do it one-on-one. -on -one. The entire ministry team. Ma, will you please join us? The entire ministry team. We just want to do it one-on-one. -on -one. And this is what we want to do. We're agreeing with them that as they put their trust in the Lord, they will never be put to shame. And anything that might have been shameful is wiped away here at this altar by the blood of Jesus. It's already been done. The, Jesus said it is finished, but now we are enforcing it. Please, can we have... The entire ministry team. Ikechi, do you want to join us for this, please? The entire ministry team. We need, we need a few more people to come and join us, please. Come and join us, please. More people to join us. Viola, please join us. Join us. Viola, join us. I need, I need, I need as many people. Go on. Go on so we can do it one-on-one. -on -one. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God is doing a miraculous work up front, just cleansing, cleansing, and purifying, and building a shield around. Touch me with your hand, oh Jesus. Touch me with your hands. Touch me with your hands. Touch 